chapter six of the conquest of new france by george wrong this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter six the valley of the ohio almost at the moment in seventeen forty nine when british ships were lying at anchor in halifax harbor and sending to shore hundreds of boatloads of dazed and expectant settlers for the new colony there had set out from montreal in the interests of france an expedition with designs so far-reaching that we wonder still at the stupendous issues involved in efforts which seemed so petty the purpose of france was now to make good her claim to the whole vast west it was a picturesque company which pushed its canoes from the shore at la chine on the fifteenth of june six days before the british squadron reached halifax there was a procession of twenty-three great birch-bark canoes well filled for in them were more than two hundred men at least ten in each canoe together with the necessary impedimenta for a long journey there were twenty soldiers in uniform a hundred and eighty canadians skilled in paddling and in carrying canoes and freight over the portages a band of indians and fourteen officers with sir laurent de blainville at their head the acting governor of canada at this time was a dwarf in physique but a giant in intellect the brilliant naval officer the marquis de la Galissonniere destined later to inflict upon the english in the mediterranean the naval defeat which caused the execution of admiral bing as a coward this remarkable man planning like his predecessor frontenac on a scale suited to world politics saw that the peace of seventeen forty eight settled nothing that in the balance now was the whole future of north america and that victory would be to the alert and the strong he chose saint laurent the most capable of the hardy young canadian noblesse whom he had at hand a man accustomed to the life of the forest and sent with him this large party to assert against the english the right of france to the valley of the ohio the english were now to be shut out definitely from advancing westward and to be confined to the strip of territory lying between the atlantic coast and the allegheny mountains a little more than that strip fifty miles wide talked about in quebec as the maximum concession of france but still not very much according to the ideas of the english and even this not secure if france should ever grow strong enough to crowd them out at no time do we find more vivid the contrast in type between the two nations before a concrete fact the british take action when they gave up louisbourg they built halifax their traders had pressed into the ohio country not directed under any grandiose idea of empire but simply as individuals to trade and reap for themselves what profit they could when they were checked and menaced by the french they saw that something must be done how they did it we shall see presently it was the weakness of the english colonies that they could not unite to work out a great plan 
if virginia took steps to advance westward pennsylvania was jealous lest lands which she desired should go to a rival colony france on the other hand had complete unity of design Celeron spoke in the name of the king of france and he spoke in terms uncompromising enough the ohio said the king of france through his agent belongs to me it is a french river the lands bordering upon it are my lands the english intruders are foreign robbers and not one of them is to be left in the western country i will not endure the english on my land the indians dwelling in that region are my children scattered over the vast region about the great lakes were a good many french at the lower end of lake ontario stood fort frontenac a menace to the colony of new york as the dwellers in the british post of oswego on the opposite shore of the lake well knew we have already seen that the french held a fort at niagara guarding the route leading farther west to lake erie and to regions beyond lake erie by way of the ohio or the upper lakes to the mississippi near the mouth of the mississippi new orleans was now becoming a considerable town with a governor independent of the governor at quebec along the mississippi at strategic points stretching northward beyond the mouth of the missouri were a few french settlements ragged enough and with a shiftless population of fur traders and farmers but adequate to assert france's possession of that mighty highway the weak point in france's position was in her connection of the mississippi with the st lawrence by way of the ohio this was the place of danger for here english rivalry was strongest and it was to cure this weakness that Celeron was now sent forth Celeron moved toilsomely over the portage which led past the great cataract of niagara and launched his canoes on lake erie from its south shore during seven days of heart-breaking labor the party dragged the canoes and supplies through dense forest and over steep hills until they reached chautauqua lake the waters of which flow into the allegheny river and by it to the ohio for many weary days they went with the current stopping at indian villages treating with the savages who were sometimes awed and sometimes menacing they warned the indians to have no dealings with the scheming english who would infallibly prove to be robbers and asserted as boldly as Celeron dared the lordship of the king of france and his love for his forest children Celeron realized that he was on an historic mission at several points on the ohio with great ceremony he buried leaden plates as la Verandria had done a few years earlier in the far west bearing an inscription declaring that in the name of the king of france he took possession of the country on trees over these memorials of lead he nailed the arms of france stamped on sheets of tin since that day at least three of the plates have been found Celeron's expedition went well enough he advanced as far west on the ohio as the mouth of the great miami river then up that river and by difficult portages back to lake erie it was a remarkable journey but in the late autumn he was back again in montreal not sure that he had achieved much the natives of the country were he thought hostile to france and devoted to the english who had long traded with them 
this opinion was in truth erroneous for when the time of testing came the indians of the west fought on the side of france montcalm had many hundreds of them under his banner the expedition meant the definite and final throwing down of the gauntlet by france with all due ceremony she had declared that the ohio country was hers and that there she would allow no english to dwell le jardin de st pierre could hardly have known when he left the hard region of the saskatchewan in seventeen fifty two that a year later he would be sent to protect another set of outposts of france in the west in seventeen fifty three we find him in command of the french forces in the ohio country Céloin had been sent to detroit if st pierre had played his part feebly on the saskatchewan he was now made for a brief period one of the central figures in the opening act of a world drama it is with a touch of emotion that we see on the stage as the opponent of this not great frenchman the momentous figure of george washington the fight for north america was now rapidly approaching its final phase in the struggle which we know as the seven years war during forty years commissioners of the two nations had been trying to reach some agreement as to boundaries each side however made impossible demands france claimed all the lands drained by the st lawrence and the great lakes and by the mississippi and its tributaries a claim which if made good would have carried her into the very heart of the colony of new york and would have given her also the mastery of the ohio and the regions beyond britain claimed all the lands ever occupied by the iroquois indians who had been recognized as british subjects by the treaty of utrecht as those indians had overrun regions north of the st lawrence the british thus would become masters of a good part of canada neither side was prepared for reasonable compromise the sword was to be the final arbiter events moved rapidly towards war in seventeen fifty three duquesne the new governor of canada sent more than a thousand men to build fort le boeuf on upper waters flowing to the ohio and within easy reach of support by way of lake erie in the next year the french were swarming in the ohio valley stirring up the indians against the english and confident of success they jeered at the divisions among the english and believed their own unity so strong that they could master the colonies one by one the two colonies most affected were pennsylvania and virginia either of them quite ready to see its own citizens advance into the ohio country and possess the land but neither of them willing to unite with the other in effective military action to protect the frontier it is at this crisis that there appears for the first time in history george washington of virginia in december seventeen fifty three in the dead of winter he made a long toilsome journey from virginia to the north through snow and rain by difficult forest trails over two ranges of mountains across streams sometimes frozen sometimes dangerous from treacherous thaws on the way he heard gossip from the indians about the designs of the french they boasted that they would come in numbers like the sands of the seashore that the natives would be no more an obstacle to them than the flies and mosquitoes which indeed they resembled and that not the breath of a finger-nail of land belonged to the indians washington was told by one of the french that it was their absolute design to take possession of the ohio 
and by blank they would do it it was no matter that the french were outnumbered two to one by the english for the english were dilatory and ineffective in the end washington arrived at fort leboeuf and presented a letter from dinwiddie the lieutenant-governor of virginia pointing out that the british could not permit an armed force from canada to invade their territory of the ohio and requiring that the french should leave the country at once le jardeur de st pierre to whom this firm demand was delivered an elderly gentleman says washington with much the air of a soldier gave of course a polite answer in the manner of his nation but he intended he said to remain where he was as long as he had instructions so to do washington kept his eyes open and made careful observations of the plan of the fort the number of men and also of the canoes of which he noted that there were more than two hundred ready and many others building the french tried to entice away his indians and he says i cannot say that ever in my life i suffered so much anxiety on the journey back he nearly perished when he fell into an ice-cold stream and was obliged to spend the night on a tiley island in frozen clothing he brought comfort as cold to the waiting dinwiddie the french meanwhile were always a little ahead of the english in their planning early in april seventeen fifty four a french force of five or six hundred men from canada which had set out while quebec was still in the icy grip of winter reached the upper waters of the ohio they attacked and destroyed a fort which the english had begun at the forks where now stands pittsburgh and in its place began a formidable one called fort duquesne after the governor of canada in vain was washington sent with a few hundred men to take possession of this fort and to assert the claim of the english to the land he fell in with a french scouting party under young coulon de jumonville killed its leader and nine others and took more than a score of prisoners warfare bloody enough in a time of supposed peace but the french were now on the ohio in greater numbers than the english at a spot known as the great meadows where washington had hastily thrown up defences which he called fort necessity he was forced to surrender but was allowed to lead his force back to virginia defeated in the first military adventure of his career the french took the view that his killing of the young officer jumonville was assassination since no state of war existed and raised a fierce clamour that washington was a murderer a strange contrast to his relations with france in the years to come what astonishes us in regard to these events is that britain and france long remained nominally at peace while they were carrying on active hostilities in america and sending from europe armies to fight there were various reasons for this hesitation about plunging formally into war each side wished to delay until sure of its alliances in europe during the war ending in seventeen forty eight france had fought with frederick of prussia against austria and britain had been austria's ally the war had been chiefly a land war but france had been beaten on the sea now britain and prussia were drawing together and if france fought them it must be with austria as an ally such an alliance offered france but slight advantage austria an inland power could not help france against an adversary whose strength was on the sea she could not aid the designs of france in america or in india 
where the capable french leader dupleix was in a fair way to build up a mighty oriental empire nor had france anything to gain in europe from an austrian alliance the shoe was on the other foot the supreme passion of maria theresa who ruled austria was to recover the province of silesia which had been seized in seventeen forty by prussia and held held to this day austria could do little for france but france could do much for austria so austria worked for this alliance it is a story of intrigue usually in france the king carried on negotiations with foreign countries only through his ministers who knew the real interests of france now the astute austrian statesman kaunitz went past the ministers of louis the fifteenth to louis himself this was the heyday of madame de pompadour the king's mistress maria theresa condescended to intrigue with this woman whom in her heart she despised there is still much mystery in the affair the king was flattered into thinking that personally he was swaying the affairs of europe and took delight in deceiving his ministers and working behind their backs while events in america were making war between france and britain inevitable france was being tied to an ally who could give her little aid she must spend herself to fight austria's battles on the land while her real interests required that she should build up her fleet to fight on the sea the great adversary across the english channel the destiny of north america might indeed well have been other than it is a france strong on the sea able to bring across to america great forces might have held at any rate her place on the st lawrence and occupied the valleys of the ohio and the mississippi we can hardly doubt that the english colonies united by a common deadly peril could have held against france most of the atlantic coast but she might well have divided with them north america and to-day the lands north of the ohio and westward beyond the ohio to the pacific ocean might have been french the two nations on the brink of war in seventeen fifty four were playing for mighty stakes and victory was to the power which had control of the sea france had a great army britain a great fleet in this contrast lay wrapped the secret of the future of north america as the crisis drew near the vital thought about the future of america was found not in america but in europe the english colonies were so accustomed to distrust each other that when virginia grew excited about french designs on the ohio pennsylvania or north carolina was as likely as not to say that it was the french who were in the right and a stupid or excitable or conceited colonial governor who was in the wrong in paris and london on the other hand there were no illusions about affairs in america in both capitals it was realized that a grim fight was on during the winter of seventeen fifty four to fifty five extensive preparations were being made on both sides france equipped an army under baron d'escaut to go to canada britain equipped one under general braddock to go to virginia each nation asked the other why it was sending troops to america and each gave the assurance of benevolent designs but in the spring of seventeen fifty five a british fleet under admiral boscawen put to sea with instructions to capture any french vessels bound for north america at the same time the two armies were on the way across the atlantic Diesco went to canada braddock to virginia each instructed to attack the other side 
while in the meantime ambassadors at the two courts gave bland assurances that their only thought was to preserve peace the english colonists showed a political blindness that amounted to imbecility albany was the central point from which the dangers on all sides might best be surveyed here came together in the summer of seventeen fifty four delegates from seven of the colonies to consider the common peril the french were busy in winning as they did the support of the many indian tribes of the west and the old allies of the english the iroquois were nervous for their own safety the delegates to albany tied and bound by instructions from their assemblies had to listen to plain words from the savages the one englishman who in dealing with the indians had tact and skill equal to that of frontenac of old was an irishman sir william johnson to him the iroquois made indignant protests that the english were as ready as the french to rob them of their lands if we find a bear in a tree they said some one will spring up to claim that the tree belongs to him and keep us from shooting the bear the french they added are at least men who are prepared to fight you weak and unprepared english are like women and any day the french may turn you out benjamin franklin told the delegates that they must unite to meet a common enemy unite however they would not no one of them would surrender to a central body any authority through which the power of the king over them might be increased the congress the word is full of omen for the future failed to bring about the much-needed union in february seventeen fifty five braddock arrived in virginia with his army and early in may he was on his march across the mountains with regulars militia and indians to the number of nearly fifteen hundred men to attack fort duquesne and to rid the ohio valley of the french he knew little of forest warfare with its use of indian scouts its ambushes its fighting from the cover of trees on the ninth of july on the monongahela river near fort duquesne in a struggle in the forest against french and indians he was defeated and killed george washington was in the fight and had to report to dinwiddie the dismal record of what had happened the frontier was aflame and nearly all the indians of the west seeing the rising star went over to the french the power of france was for the time supreme in the heart of the continent at that moment even far away in the lone land about the saskatchewan the english trader hendry had to admit that the french knew better than the english how to attract the support of the savage tribes meanwhile d'escaut had arrived at quebec in the colony of new york sir william johnson the rough and cheery irishman much loved of the iroquois was gathering forces to attack canada early in july seventeen fifty five johnson had more than three thousand provincial troops at albany a motley horde of embattled farmers most of them with no uniforms dressed in their own homespun carrying their own muskets electing their own officers and altogether from the strict soldier's point of view a rabble rather than an army to meet this force and destroy it if he could d'escaut took to the french fort at crown point on lake champlain and southward from there to ticonderoga at the head of this lake some three thousand five hundred men including his french regulars some canadians and indians johnson's force lay at fort george later fort william henry the most southerly point on lake george the names given by johnson himself show how the dull hanoverian kings and their offspring were held in honor by the irish diplomat who was looking for favors at court the two armies met on the shores of lake george early in september 
and there was an all-day fight each side lost some two hundred men among those who perished on the french side was le chardeur de st pierre who had escaped all the perils of the western wilderness to meet his fate in this border struggle the honors of the day seemed to have been with johnson for the french were driven off and d'escaut himself badly wounded was taken prisoner that johnson had great difficulty in keeping his savages from burning alive and then boiling and eating d'escaut and smoking his flesh in their pipes in revenge for some of their chiefs killed in the fight shows what an alliance with indians meant there was small gain to the english from johnson's success he was too cautious to advance towards canada and as winter came on he broke up his camp and sent his men to their homes the colonies had no permanent military equipment each autumn their forces were dissolved to be reorganized again in the following spring a lame method of waging war for three years longer in the valley of the ohio as elsewhere the star of france remained in the ascendant it began to decline only when farther east on the atlantic superior forces sent out from england were able to check the french during the summer of seventeen fifty eight while wolfe and boscawen were pounding the walls of louisbourg seven thousand troops led by general forbes colonel george washington and colonel henry bouquet pushed their way through the wilds beyond the alleghanies and took possession of the ohio the french destroyed fort duquesne and fled on the twenty fifth of november the english occupied the place and named it pittsburgh in honor of their great war minister End of chapter six